Welcome back to On the Record, the podcast for all employees of Axel Springer. Here, leading voices of our transatlantic media corporation discuss what moves us today and what will move us in the future. My name is Adib. I am Global Head of Communications. And today, I'm uh, very lucky to be joined by our CEO, Matthias Duffner. Matthias, warm welcome. Hi, Adib. It's the end of the year. It's been a very challenging, intense year, I think, for everyone, but also for us as an organization, definitely has been transformational in a lot of ways. And uh, we very much look forward to hearing your thoughts on some of the main themes. As always, we want to start with a round of quickfire questions. I'll provide the beginning of a sentence and ask you to complete it. First one, Matthias, three adjectives to describe 2023 are? Transformative, um, challenging, energizing. One thing we achieved in 2023 that I am very proud of is? To see how the entire organization, uh, without any push, took a very clear stance towards anti-Semitism. And in a way, they chose me that values are not empty words. We live up to them. One thing I learned this year was? Sometimes a deep crisis can have really a reassuring and strengthening effect. One thing that keeps me awake at night is? That we have to accelerate the speed of change and transformation in order to remain ahead of the curve. Thank you for that, Matthias. Let's dive into those topics. That was fun. Uh, also, one of the shorter uh, quickfire question answers that we've had in this format. I thought that's the idea of it. Exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so uh, thank you for that. Um, first, maybe sort of the question around how 2023 was challenging. You mentioned that, how it was transformative for us as an organization. I mean, let's take the objective facts we had because of the Ukraine war, an energy crisis, we had inflation, we had a very, very adversal uh, macroeconomic environment uh, all around the world, in America, in Europe, in all our markets. And it didn't look very likely that we would ever achieve our goals with regard to revenues and profitability. We have missed on revenues a little bit. We have overperformed on profitability. That's incredible. And I think that is an unbelievable team effort and an unbelievable team achievement. And I cannot thank enough all our employees for what you have done. I mean, this is really remarkable. And it shows and uh, proves again that if there is a crisis out there, Axel Springer is getting better than ever. We are really champions in mastering crises. We have done it in the past several times, and this was a particularly important year. And I'm incredibly proud and thankful. And everybody on the executive team says that in almost every executive board meeting. So I have to say it again here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's definitely much appreciated, I'm sure. The year started out with you announcing that we were going to go digital only. So, you know, moving away from any print products. That's been about 10 months now uh, since we announced it. If you could go back in time, would you still announce it at the time? Oh, absolutely. And it is an example for what I said, that sometimes a crisis, if things are getting tough, helps you to make bold decisions and clarify things. It is It has a clarifying and purifying effect. And I mean, to go digital only, that is something you could say 
we have started that process 20 years ago and we knew it for many years that that is going to happen. And I think it was now really important to define this goal and to go digital only is not a threat that we have to avoid and to postpone, but something that we have to actively steer and shape. And I think that is the important psychological point here. It is not that we are doing it tomorrow. It's not that there is any due date when we have to uh, have accomplished it. It is really to make sure that psychologically this transformation into a leading digital only publisher and a publisher that comes up with journalism that is even better and more meaningful and impactful and business-wise more successful than ever that this is a positive goal. And how long it takes, we don't know. We have not defined a timeline, and we shouldn't. We have started the first initiatives, and uh, we have already closed down certain print assets. Some will live much longer than we think. If we say digital only, it does not mean that we proactively shorten the lifespan of print publications. We will benefit from that as long as possible, but we focus on the positive outcome, and that is to be in a better position as a digital-only publisher. I think that is the important psychology that uh, we have to understand. And I think most of the people do so, and we have done a lot of things which we would not have done perhaps without the definition of that North Star digital-only. So if you look at the entire year, maybe in bookends of major announcements, Digital only marked the start of the year, and at the end of the year, we announced a partnership with OpenAI. You know, basically working together with an AI provider to allow them to display our content, even content from behind the uh, the paywall, in their products, in their large language models. Um, the the FT headlined this as a landmark deal. Is that a fair description? And if yes, why? Well, a lot of particularly Anglo-Saxon media described it as a landmark deal and as a very fundamental game changer for the industry. I think because they realized immediately that this is the first deal that established a principle that may be absolutely mission critical for the future of creative industries and intellectual property creators. And that is that we get paid for the usage of our intellectual property. We have fought for that uh, 20 years ago and since then with the platforms of the first generation. A lot of mistakes have been made. A lot of media companies were too naively just accepting the terms that the super powerful platforms defined. The platforms thought they can take it all and the regulators acted way too late. Now everybody has learned from that, and that's why we were able to shape that deal. It is a forward-looking deal uh, that may define a bit the rules for the entire industry. I'm super happy that we were shaping that proactively and not uh, reacting to developments. We are embracing the technology, but we make sure that that all happens based on fair terms. And I think that makes it important, and I'm just glad and happy that Axel Springer was ahead of the curve, and that's exactly where we should be. But other media companies have also done deals with OpenAI, for example, supplying their content for training purposes. Well, training purposes are a little element here. And of course, if somebody is using our data for training, they should pay. But how long will they really do that? Synthetic data will play a bigger and bigger role. So perhaps in the very near future, they just don't need our data any longer. So that's why we were not so focused on that aspect. We were more focused 
on the principle that if we deliver a service, if we deliver truthful information and trustful information, then that should also be the basis for a deal relationship and for some form of remuneration. And I think that is the important part of our deal. Uh, maybe a bit over the top in my question, but I mean it sincerely. Is it sort of the thing of keep your friends close, but your enemies closer? Absolutely. That frenemy relationship has defined our kind of ambivalent relationship to the big platforms like Google, Facebook and others. And I think that ambivalence also remains defining and important here. But let's not in a way overstate this structure of the deal it is i think a first step it is a bold move it is a proactive move it is uh, embracing new technologies in the future but now we have to figure out if and how that really leads to a long-term sustainable and healthy ecosystem and here the jury is out i don't want to be too euphoric and say well this deal has solved all the issues no we still have on the regulatory level a lot of incredible challenges where it's really hard to come up with convincing and concrete proposals how it could be done we still have to see how it is going to play out with regard to the power balance is there enough competition or are there just a few very dominant uh, ai platforms that basically define the rules so i'm far from being totally easy and super optimistic that everything is solved now no but it's a first step and what i like about it it is we are not reacting we are acting and we are proactively shaping developments and that's what i like and that is what where axel springer should be as i often say in this format let's change gears completely something else you mentioned in the quick fire round was the rise of anti-Semitism after the terrorist attacks of Hamas on October 7th and what that has done also to this company from a values perspective. Could you talk a little bit about your experiences as a CEO, but also as an individual that you've had since October 7th um, with regards to the question of anti-Semitism in Europe, but also maybe from a perspective of how public discourse has developed in these past months? I think the topic is much bigger. Anti-Semitism is a symptom. But before we get to anti-Semitism, I think briefly, what we are seeing for a couple of years, you could say since 9-11, symbolically, more than 20 years ago, what we see is the rise of autocracies and dictatorships and a weaker and weaker democratic world where more and more democracies are downgraded by independent institutions like Freedom House year by year for 17 years in a row now. More and more countries are downgraded from free to partly free or from partly free to unfree. So objectively, democracy is on decline. And I would put it in the shortest possible phrase, and that is democracy is under attack from three powerful sources. One is China, one is Islamist states, mainly in the Middle East, and the third one is Russia under Putin. These three powers try to undermine democracy. They try to weaken the biggest democracy in the world, which is the United States. They try to reshape the world order. 
And we can let that happen and we can say, well, actually, we proactively contribute to the acceleration of that process and we give up our values, the free and open society model, the rule of law, human rights, all these ideas that have defined the West, which I mean not in a geographical way, I mean it as a value definition. We can either give it up voluntarily or we can proactively fight against it. And I think it's very clear what we got to do. And that's why Axel Springer has for many, many years defined as its overriding value, freedom and the free and open society model. Now, that is under attack. It is under attack in Ukraine. And I'm very worried about the recent developments. We should not forget about this conflict. If that is lost for Ukraine, it is lost for America, it is lost for Europe, and it has a very, very big effect on the world order. And the second front line is now Israel. And Israel has always been a good first victim. As a Jewish friend has said to me, sometimes we, the Jews, we, the Israelis, just feel like the canary birds. Uh, canary birds are used in mines deep below the sea level in order to warn people who are working in mines if the oxygen level is deteriorating because canary birds die because of a lack of oxygen much earlier than human beings. So they are used as a warning signal to warn people to get out of the mine and save their lives. Now, it really seems that Jews and citizens of Israel are the canary birds of our time. They are warning us what is happening here, and that is the destruction of our open society model and of our freedom. And um, that's why I was totally surprised, I have to say, that after the beginning of this terror war, which was so clear, it was so clear who started it and who started it with the most kind of barbarian methods and genocidal aspects. So the, the perpetrator and the victim was pretty clearly defined, regardless of any domestic policy issues, what Netanyahu did wrong or right or whatever, that doesn't matter, as it doesn't matter in Ukraine, whether the Ukrainians are corrupt or not corrupt, that doesn't justify an aggressive annexation of a country. So it was very clear. And nevertheless, the world did not take sides and support Israel and our values of an imperfect democracy. No, a majority on Instagram, on other social media, and in particular on TikTok, took sides for the Hamas actions. And a majority of young Americans said the Hamas attacks are justified. And an almost global wave of anti-Semitism suddenly showed its ugly face. That was, I have to admit, a big shock. I, I knew that the anti-Semitism is there. I knew that it is here and there well hidden or presented in a politically correct manner as anti-Zionism or vokeism or whatever, but that it, would, that it would so aggressively show its ugly face, I did not expect. And uh, that's why I'm so proud that at least Axel Springer and its employees took a very clear stance. So is social media to blame? Well, social media is the reflection of their users. So it's a bit too easy to simply blame social media as the source of evil. But yes, I think the role that particularly TikTok plays as a social media outlet that is controlled and clearly in the hands of a totalitarian system, the Communist Party of China, and has to share its data uh, with this totalitarian system that is in a way a dangerous player anyway with regard to propaganda and manipulation, that TikTok played such an incredibly biased role, concretely more than 4 million posts until today have been published under the hashtag of Free Palestine or other kind of pro-Hamas topics. 
and only 50 something thousand, 53,000 posts were basically standing by Israel. That shows how biased, how one-sided and how manipulative this outlet is. So we have to have a discussion how we deal with it. I think it reminds me very much of uh, propaganda effects in the darkest times of European history. And we got to be very careful. This has an amplifying effect uh, with regard to the deterioration of democracy. Axel Springer also has a portfolio company in Israel, Yad Stein, and uh, you recently visited Israel just a couple of weeks ago and talked to our employees and you also talked to politicians and other important stakeholders in the country. What was your emotional takeaway from that? Well, clearly that short trip to Israel in the middle of a war was one of the most moving and one of the most emotional experiences of, of this year. And the by far most moving moment was when I was sitting together with the families of hostages. Some of them had already been brought home. Others were and still are in the hands of Hamas terrorists and are still the objects of a very cynical, inhumane way of blackmailing and negotiating. And to talk to the family members, to talk to a mother who's every night praying and thinking of her son or daughter, um, parents or sisters who have shown videos how their brother has been tortured. There were images you, you cannot imagine. I mean, it's really impossible to describe it, but so terrible uh, experience and scenes on, on video, uh, in, in audio files, and then these these feelings of family members who couldn't just believe it and who said, why is the Red Cross not active? Why aren't they helping us? They, 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 they couldn't get it. They couldn't believe it. So to deal with that uh, was emotionally uh, incredibly intense. At the same time, you cannot imagine how thankful these people are that Axel Springer exists and that Axel Springer does what it does. The initiative that we have taken here in Berlin to show the photos and the names of the hostages at our facade of the headquarter of Axel Springer, that was a big topic in Israel. Everybody knew it. They were talking about it and they said, thank you. We are so grateful. We don't feel completely left alone because you did that. And to give the victims a name and a face is so important. So that had also a very positive element. And then you were referring to Yad Shlaim. We then visited in, in Tel Aviv the, the entire team of Yad Shlaim. We did a Hanukkah lightning together and uh, singing some songs. And I was speaking to the team. Uh, yeah, it was a very uh, emotional moment. A lot of tears were involved on all sides. But it also felt very reassuring that we can count on each other and uh, that nobody really feels left alone or abandoned by uh, its employer. We are there uh, also in tough times. And I think that was basically the message. It was a message of support just to be there and say, we are with you. So at the end of a intense year where it almost seems like, you know, poetically speaking, the world is coming apart at the seams, you know, if you want to put it almost too negatively. What's your outlook on 2024? Where do we go from here? Well, you see, I'm, I'm really serious about this uh, takeaway that 23 was one of the toughest years I've ever seen with regard to many aspects. On a, on a political level, we spoke about it. On a business level, we spoke about it. On a strategic level for Axel Springer, we spoke about it. 
But I feel really strengthened. And if I'm saying that, I mean the company. I think the company is definitely in a better shape. I mean, what we have achieved during that tough year with the German media business is completely unheard of. I have never seen that in 20 years, such a recovery of build. Build is more powerful, stronger, more convincing than ever, has delivered on all uh, relevant KPIs. So it's a journalistic success, it's a cultural success, and it's a business success to do all that in peril of such a year and reshape a strategy and be at the forefront of AI and really also amplify our transatlantic ties. That has led to a definitely strengthened Axel Springer, a company that is in a better place. I also feel personally strengthened also out of some very bitter and very disappointing personal experiences. But in the end, you know on whom you can count and you learn more about your real friends and your fake friends and so on. So in a way, altogether, I feel personally strengthened. I feel the company is strengthened. And that is both a good basis to now really reach the next level in 2020. 24. And I think it has the potential, how difficult the macro environment may be, to really be a, a great year for Axel Springer. We have prepared a lot of things. We are in good places uh, with many assets. And uh, I think that should be really now a kind of full steam spirit to start into the new year, focus more on the market, focus more on customers, focus more on revenues and not only and mainly on costs and really accelerate growth and uh, accelerate the speed of technological empowerment and qualification. I think there is a lot that we have planned and a lot to do. So I think altogether 24 should be another transformative year which will bring us to the next level with regard to be the leading AI-empowered media company. Matthias, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we could definitely go on uh, for hours. We look forward to many more insights from you along the way uh, in 2024. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for having me and have a joyful and particularly peaceful Christmas and a happy new year. Dear listeners, you can also find us on social media, on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Uh, you can find these links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, we'd love a like or a positive review. If you have any suggestions or questions, please write us at otr at axelspringer.com. We will hear you next year. Happy holidays and a very happy new start into 2024. Hear you next time.